Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or at least its leadership, if not necessarily its member states, has in recent weeks adopted a conciliatory tone in its public approach toward Iran. The IAEA's Director General, Ambassador Rafael Grossi, is going out of his way to accept Iran's explanations of suspicious military nuclear activities as plausible. There is a questionable gap between what happens in the uranium enrichment domain, where according to the intelligence community at least, Iran has already enough for two bombs should it choose to break out and produce them, and in reactivation of monitoring equipment where the host country is stalling rather than installing, and the willingness of the IAEA take, uh, to take Tehran's accuses at face value. So is the accounting technical or political with us to explore this issue from New York City is Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is a former Deputy Director General at the International Atomic Energy Agency and a distinguished fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us from Istanbul, Turkey, is retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, who is a former Assistant Secretary of State for Political and Military Affairs. Thank you for joining us, General. And also joining us here in the studio is a retired colonel, Dr. Eran Lerman, who is uh, the vice president of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security, as well as a co-host here of uh, TV7 Middle East Review. Thank you for joining us as well, as well as uh, our editor-at-large, Mr. Amir Oren, host of uh, Watchman Talk and uh, uh, many other productions here on the set. Mr. Oren, give us a broader understanding of uh, uh, this very challenging topic, uh, which is uh, quite pressing. So in the interests of brevity, and because we have such a distinguished panel of experts, let me just uh, say that philosophically, in addition to the question of is it technical or political, philosophically, there are two dimensions here. The first is whether, uh, just like um, in a trial, the accused must prove his innocence, or the prosecution uh, must prove that he is guilty. And uh, Ambassador Grossi uh, has taken the uh, lenient uh, uh, approach in which um, until and unless the IAEA as well as uh, world powers prove beyond doubt that uh, the indicted Iran um, should be convicted, the doubt plays in favor of, uh, of Iran. Of course, he does it because it's convenient uh, to do it. The other philosophical question is, should bygones be bygones? Should we look to the future? Should we just say, okay, in the past, they have uh, taken part in suspicious activities, but let's not stay on the past. Let's look uh, at the bigger picture and let them move ahead so that uh, we do not escalate towards a breakout and the um, military action which will surely follow. I think it's important to put things in context. We're talking here about uh, activity that the IAEA undertook uh, in February of 2021, uh, during which it uh, uncovered 
particles, uh, which uh, were enriched to the level of 83%, uh, near, uh, obviously, weapons-grade material. And uh, while initial explanations by the Islamic Republic were not technically credible, uh, subsequently, the Iranians revised their statement and uh, stated that uh, many years ago, uh, during uh, uh, the Soviet Union's uh, control of the territory there, uh, they had various activities that uh, amounted to uh, those uh, particles. And while the IAEA uh, declaratively said that uh, it cannot necessarily verify that uh, this is untrue, uh, it cannot also verify whether it's true. So uh, where does this put us uh, right now, since uh, right now the uh, nuclear watchdog and its uh, board of governors, uh, in all practical terms, is supposed to trust the Islamic Republic of Iran and Russia, for that matter, uh, whether this is a credible position. Uh, Dr. Heinonen, uh, would you like to clarify this matter to us? Thank you. This is a bit complicated issue, and we have to look here through two windows. One is the implementation of JCPOA, where Iran agreed on certain undertakings with the size and nature of the civilian program in terms of how much they can end this material, to which level, and etc. And then is the other part, which is the implementation of comprehensive safeguards agreement, which is an obligation for the Iran to comply with, but it's also obligation for the IAEA to verify the correctness and completeness of Iran's declaration. And the latter very often is forgotten on this discussion. And then when we look at those particles which you mentioned, we can put them in two categories. Let's talk first about this 80% enriched uranium. This is very unusual. You know, that time when I was in the Department of Safeguards, we took a lot of environmental samples, and I never saw anything being so much outside of the range of declared enrichment. This is the first fact. So this is a very unusual event. The, the second thing there is that, uh, is that how you state it and what you do. So the IAEA said that, that this they go, at this stage, they have no other, you know, questions regarding this uh, Iran's explanation, saying that, you know, they are not inconsistent with their uh, findings. Not inconsistent means that actually you are not entirely happy. There are open things there, but you don't know why. On the other hand, there is no alarming signature which says that they are giving a wrong information. So therefore, they bounced the buck further and said that we will return to that when the, we verify the next physical in inventory taking in Iran. So in effect, but this case I, is not closed. Uh, it's not closed. They need mm -hmm. to do still this inventory verification, which they say there in their report. So it's not closed. But there's at this point of time, there's no additional question to be made. But then you get those results, and then you look at it again. Do they match? And this is, I think, has been missing from this conversation. And same is with the, uh, dealing with uh, Marivan and Varami. First of all, I would like to remind people that uh, Marivan and uh, Varami, this has been in IAEA work plan since mid, I think it was 2005. Mm -hmm. And we are still dealing with the same problem, not 
proper answers, not really addressed what is there. And these are safeguards issues. This is a heart of the verification system. Verify the correctness and completeness of state's declaration. And after 15 plus years, we still have no answer at all to Varamin and some answers to Marivan, which were also not closed. They were not closed. IAEA wants to understand those high explosive experiments and experiments which point to the direction of, of the possible testing of neutron detection systems, which is more a weapon-related activity. Mm -hmm. And this goes then back to the Amat plan and those files. And here I have a very different view in terms of how to deal it. You cannot just close it and hope that nothing has happened since 2003 in terms of the weaponization. Why? Three reasons. First, Iran has now much better missiles which can deliver the nuclear weapons if they want. The latest, a couple of weeks ago, has a 15 kilogram, 1,500 kilogram payload, flies 2,000 kilometers. This is a real uh, missile to deliver nuclear warheads. And they have many other ones on top of that, which have been uh, performing relatively well. And then we have this Laguna, which has not addressed all the weaponization activities. Did they really stop in 2003, as people claim? Mm. I don't think so. When you go to see the literature, which they have been publishing on uh, neutron studies since 2003, I think that the IAEA and the international community has to find out what they have been doing there. Are they miniaturizing, like North Korea has recently done? Because they had a fairly good basic design in 2003 to continue. And then comes this mm. uh, nuclear material issues, which has been now close to 20 years open. So those, there's no reason why Iran cannot explain those and put this whole thing behind. So at the very end, what is in the stake is the verification, credibility of the verification regime of the IAEA and the NPT. That's the bottom line. Well, uh, General Kimmett, I'd like to bring you into this conversation since uh, obviously there is talk behind closed doors about potentially uh, having some sort of an arrangement, uh, an uh, intermediary arrangement, if you will, between the United States and Iran. Uh, we heard about uh, discussions uh, that were held uh, via Omani mediation by uh, Special Envoy uh, Remick Girk, uh, and uh, ultimately, uh, whether or not this is indeed leading towards such a, an agreement, uh, is the United States in a position at this point, uh, considering uh, the various implications of what we just heard, uh, capable of taking uh, the Iranian statements uh, in faith value and uh, that of particularly Russia, which is supposed to back the story that the Iranians have put forward. You know, Imel started off this uh, discussion by talking about the requirement of both the innocent to prove their guilty, uh, their innocence, and the prosecution to prove their guilt. Uh, unfortunately, in the United States, the standard is that uh, innocent until proven guilty and in most cases beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, and I think that's where we are with the United States, unfortunately, is that they are taking the position that the situation is not declaratively proven that there are violations. 
And because of that, they're trying to inch their way back into the JCPOA. Uh, the problem that the United States will have uh, is that the Iranians will just simply look at this situation uh, as when Trump pulled out. Uh, the only way that the Iranians will be satisfied, and the only way the Americans can guarantee any return to the JCPOA uh, is simply by a treaty, a treaty obligation that is signed by both the uh, sides of the aisle, 60 votes in the United States Senate, and that's unattainable and unachievable. So any discussion of the United States going to have a separate arrangement, uh, a, a, a different way of coming to an agreement with the Iranians is simply demonstrates that the our administration, the United States administration, doesn't have a solution uh, for persuading the Iranians uh, that we will honor this, uh, any agreement from, from president to president. And because of that, I think they're trying to pull a hat out of a, uh, a, a rabbit out of a hat, and it will ultimately be unsuccessful. Indeed. Dr. Lerman? Well, um, going back to uh, Amir's useful analogy to a trial, uh, it's always been uh, my understanding that in, in matters of intelligence, um, you don't actually need the level of evidentiary certainty that is required in a court of law. You know, and we know that this is a military project. We know this with, uh, with absolute certainty. In any case, nobody enriches to beyond 60% for any other purpose. So basically, we have passed the point of proof. Um, the utility of pursuing the PMD investigation on, on Ivan and other issues is in basically, I would say, establishing that in a deepest sense, the JCPOA, with 158 pages of it, begins with the bold assertion of a lie, namely that this is a civilian project. And, and that we should accept that as a point of departure. And uh, here, I think within this issue lies the crux of the entire matter, whether there is a combination of uh, leverages, uh, sanctions and a credible military threat that can bring the Iranian regime to own up to the reality of what they're doing and therefore seriously uh, walk back the, the project? Or are we basically uh, willing to uh, help the Iranians delude us as to the nature of what they're doing? There's a huge divide between uh, intelligence professionals of, um, of all um, persuasions, nuclear, military, uh, strategic, and policymakers. Intelligence professionals um, try to work the way scientists do, bottom up. They collect evidence um, with, with uh, various uh, levels of certainty, and they try to get to the uh, conclusion at the end. While policymakers, such as President Biden, start with the premise that they do not want to go to war 
against Iran. They do not have the domestic support for it. And therefore, they would rather live with the lie that Iran just uh, quoted and try to get away with whatever it takes in order to, to support it. So the truth here does not really matter. What matters is the political will, which is lacking. Indeed. Dr. Heinonen, what should policymakers and intelligence officials, let's put it on both sides of the aisle, um, focus on at this stage, considering the fact that the Iranians, something that everybody agrees about, are stalling? I think that what is really missing also in, from this picture is an honest risk assessment. Mm. That how deep you need to go, which are pros, which are cons, if you know you uh, stop, let's say, uh, inspecting or verifying certain parts of Iran's declaration. And then I think that people should take perhaps a couple of case studies. India, Pakistan, and North Korea, where people didn't want to do tough decisions in, you know, 1990s in both cases. And they ended up with the first, with a small nuclear uh, arsenal, as Mr. Kakoktar put it. Oh, this is just five nuclear devices. It is for deterrence. We don't need more. Now they have more than 100. And then the same for Pakistan, how we, we had in the U.S. many other reasons not to be hard on Pakistanis. And then you come to North Korea and just look at the start of the agreed framework. It was signed, implemented, and the day it was signed, we already knew that the North Koreans had got investment technology from, uh, from uh, Pakistan. So they were, from day one, in non-compliance with the understaking, which was perhaps also wishful thinking, because it's just uh, referred to North-South Declaration, which says that there will be no enrichment and reprocessing in the Korean Peninsula. So they didn't take any serious attempt, but we're thinking that, okay, when we implement this agreed framework, maybe their interest goes down with the time. But then something else changed in the political atmosphere, and North Korea apparently continued its weapons development and then decided in 2003, because of the other reasons, to leave the NPT. And then be careful. They left 2003, first nuclear testes in 2006. In three years, you don't do that from scratch. So they were all along working with their weapon designs and doing those experiments which didn't need nuclear material. Which so these raises are the a... lessons which should be learned and then do the risk assessment with information which we have wealth of them available mm -hmm. now about the Iranian behavior, structure of the uh, nuclear program, parallel activities which still needs to be declared and visited by the IAL, let's say, like Shahid Bouchardi, uh, Midan Project, etc. I can list quite a few of them, and none of that has been at, at least in public uh, raised by the IAEA. So and this is, I think, is a risk assessment, learn from the previous experiences, and then decide which way to go. And uh, this raises the question, uh, General Kimmett, is history repeating itself? Well, it, it certainly is in my mind. I mean, there's there's little doubt among reasonable people that the Iranians are continuing their program unabated, and, and they will do everything they can uh, to hide that, to ensure that they can develop just like the North Koreans did. 
Uh, I would bring up one issue that was discussed earlier about military intelligence uh, and the notion of intelligence versus policy. Uh, most intelligence experts will give some level of reasonable probability on event happening or an event to happen. Uh, and under that, you can take the policy actions for uh, either solving that problem or changing that problem. The experience of 2003 in the invasion of Iraq and the use of uh, intelligence estimates to justify the invasion of Iraq, uh, particularly that of Saddam's nuclear programs and his chemical weapons programs, uh, which turned out to be not correct, has raised the level of proof so high among administrations in the United States, in particular Democratic administrations, that if we would have taken action at the 80% certainty level now, I think the political uh, demands inside the United States are such that the United States will wait till there's 99% proof before it even considers any action. Uh, against the Iranian regime, primarily because of the experiences of 2003. Mm. And candidly, dangerous position to be in to try to solve this problem. Indeed, and taking, of course, into account the fact that President Biden was the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, when the decision was made uh, to invade Iraq. Well, Dr. Uh, is, is, Israel does not suffer from a similar problem. There is, I know, seriously, uh, there's a high level of confidence Mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the public domain, uh, there's a very broad base of support, despite the countries being torn apart by other issues, but not on this. Taking not, also into consideration that there is a greater cost to be borne. Well, clearly, uh, there are two differences between the North Korean case and ours. One is that the North Koreans, even with the bomb, have no influence beyond their borders, and the bomb did not significantly uh, enhance their capacity to threaten their neighbors. Iran, uh, with the system of proxies under its wings, uh, and with even the image of, of, of being a, a threshold nuclear power, uh, could be a far more dangerous entity than it has been hitherto, with, and, and it has been dangerous enough. And the second thing is, in the North Korean situation, at the end of the day, the United Nations, the United States never had a military option for the simple reason that the South wouldn't risk another war mm -hmm. under any circumstances. With, uh, with the DMZ 50, 50 miles or less from the miracle on the Han River, they would never let the US go to war on their behalf. We in Israel are fully aware of the dangers, including a full-scale rocket barrage from Hezbollah in Lebanon and other um, serious, serious consequences. And nevertheless, for us, the military option must be on the table. Uh, retired uh, Brigadier General Meir Finkel, who is one of Israel's best and most prolific uh, military scholars, he has written a series of uh, studies mm -hmm. about the general staff, the Air Force, and is now uh, deep into a study of the intelligence uh, corps, has just released um, a short uh, study about what happened with several cases of weapons of mass destruction programs which Israel tried to um, uh, follow in Iraq, in Libya, in, in Iran, 
in Syria, in Iraq also the biological and chemical problems. And one of his conclusions, uh, and it may or may not apply to the present, but one of his conclusions was that the monitoring system, which, for instance, the IAEA had in Iraq and was dismantled um, uh, at one time, was very important for Israeli intelligence at the time. So that means that reinstalling the cameras, even partly, even not fully, may be a significant move for Israel. Despite the fact that the IAEA doesn't have access to those uh, the footage that those cameras produce and uh, still needs to uh, you, you may gain refill. access surreptitiously. Right. Well, uh, we're drawing near to the end of the program. I'd like to give each and every one of you the opportunity to have a brief uh, uh, analysis or recommendation to, to leaders today on what should uh, they enact in, in uh, the near future. Dr. Heinonen, we'll start with you. Well, I think that the IAEA Board of Governors should have this week made a firm resolution that those issues which are open there in terms of the safe course agreement has to be finally addressed. They will help us to understand the risk associated with the possible undeclared weapons program. Plus, they will bring Iran finally to stand in the front of the truth and tell to the people what they have done. And then we can go from there on and then they can build the confidence to the nature of their nuclear program. We should not give an opportunity for Iran to keep us as a hostage by increasing stocks of 60% enriched uranium, which are now enough if you look at it in a few, uh, half a year's time, they mm. can turn it to maybe six, eight, seven uh, nuclear weapons. This is not acceptable tool for international community to agree. General Kimmett? Uh, my view is that uh, there's little chance that any JCPOA or any other follow-on agreement is going to stop the Iranians from continuing their program. Uh, there is a view currently being espoused among the military that if you can't stop uh, Iran from developing a nuclear weapon, you've got to stop their ability to deliver a nuclear weapon. I think that's why you see the uh, increased activities towards a regional air defense system, uh, hardened, uh, one that's far more effective, one that's more integrated. I personally don't believe uh, that we will see a situation where we will either be able to deter or by negotiations uh, eliminate the Iranian nuclear threat. So uh, I think we ought to recognize that and continue to develop that regional air defense system and other methods to ensure that the Iranians, uh, even if they develop it, can never deliver it. One sentence. Everything depends on the assessment of how far they are uh, gone in weaponization. And this may determine Israel's course of action in the next few months. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Dr. Heinonen, General Kimmet, Dr. Lerman, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank all of you at home as well. Until next time. Shalom. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.